This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for March 14th, 2018. In this episode, how secure are passwords stored in the cloud? Is Apple security strong enough to protect them and your other Apple services data? Plus, in this week's news, California is the latest of several states getting in on the Right to Repair Act, which will give consumers more options for fixing their devices. And new rumors of iTunes' demise. Are they picking up steam or just blowing hot air? The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. When's the last time you needed to fix a Mac or an iPhone or an iPad? Well, I fix my personal devices all the time, really. I don't uh, typically have to do something... Wait, with... you fix them yourself? If something goes wrong, you get out the screwdrivers and repair your Macs? Oh, yeah. And your iPhones? Uh, iPhones, uh, not so much. <laughs> have you ever tried to open an iOS device or even an iPod? No, I, I haven't personally. And I, I know people who have done that, and it's not something that's easy to do. You really have to know what you're doing. <laughs> that's an understatement. It's really difficult. A few years ago, if you took like the iPod Classic or the earlier iPods, it wasn't that hard. You could take a special sort of plastic card and slip it in between the stainless steel back and the plastic face, and you could then pop it open. And I did this once, but you can't do this on iPhones today. You can't do this on, on iPads, any recent iOS device. It's impossible. And this is a serious problem. There are a number of states that are considering passing a law called right to repair, which will require manufacturers of computers, smartphones, tablets, etc., to provide information and parts so people, individuals or independent repair people can do the repairs. Today, if you have a problem with an iPhone, you've got, well, three choices. The first is to go through Apple. If it's not under warranty, they charge you a flat rate to fix things, which is generally pretty high. You can go to an independent repair shop, and, and I'm sure where you are, there's people who repair broken screens and things like that. Or you can try and do it yourself. Now, obviously, for an iPhone or an iPad, you wouldn't, but for a Mac, you still can do some repairs. I think this is a really important law because we're basically held hostage by a sort of a monopoly and it's not just Apple. Other companies do this, too, with their hardware, where we don't have the option to do certain things. And, and it can be as simple as adding RAM to certain iMacs that don't have doors that open on the back or, I don't know, replacing a power supply. You've built PCs. You know, power supplies, they go bad. It doesn't cost much to replace it, right? Yeah, in fact, one of the reasons that I've been considering building a desktop Hackintosh, I've done I've done this a couple of times. A Hackintosh is a basically a PC that you've converted to run Mac OS. And it's not supported by Apple. Um, it's not something that most people would be interested in doing. But um, I've done this a couple of times with laptops because I can't afford you know, necessarily to pay a couple thousand dollars just to get a new laptop. Yeah. And if, if I can spend $300 to get a used HP laptop and it's got almost all the same hardware components, well, that seems like a, a fairly good uh, option for some people, May maybe not everyone. Well, we should maybe do a show about the Hackintosh someday. I built one about a year ago, and it was an arduous experience. 
getting the software to work was extremely difficult and it's currently gathering dust because it just wasn't reliable enough and, and I, I couldn't depend on it to do my everyday work. I might go back to it now. This was pre-High Sierra and maybe things are a little bit easier. But I'm thinking more of the hardware issue that, you know, I, I've just ordered a new 21 and a half inch iMac. I'm replacing a 27 inch. I'm downsizing. So the 27, I it came with 8 gigs of RAM and I added another 16. There's a little flap you open. Yeah. It cost maybe, I don't know, about $150 to buy the RAM and I put it in and I was happy. With the 21 inch iMac, you can't do that. You have to order the RAM when you buy it or you have to take it to an authorized service center afterwards because there's no easy way to open it. You have to like pull the screen off to get to where the RAM is. And I think there are a couple of problems here. One is that we shouldn't be obliged to pay so much for repairs, but two is the question of sustainability. If people could repair older computers more easily, they wouldn't buy new computers. There would be less stuff to recycle, which, you know, let's be honest, there's millions of tons of computers and, and phones lying around waiting to be recycled. These They contain hazardous chemicals, and in many cases, all they would need is a small repair to be usable again. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this is something that has really been going on for a long time. iFixit is a, is a company that does teardowns of new devices and, and they have a repairability score for any new Apple device and many other brands whenever a new device comes out. So they'll give it a zero if it's like, you know, there's nothing you can possibly do. You will break this. You won't be able to, to put it back together if you take it apart all the way, you know, up to, uh, to you know, the best case scenario where you can do all the repairs that you want. And, uh, and they have this uh, repair manifesto. Self, uh, they used to call it self-repair manifesto. And uh, they, they have some, some key points. Repair is better than recycling. Repair saves you money. Repair teaches engineering, and repair saves the planet. And then they give some some details on on each of those. But uh, they've got a cool poster you can you can print out, or I think they might even have some that you can order. But I've always thought this is really cool. What what a cool concept, right? That you can you know the the right to repair your own devices and not have to be locked down or have have it only go to the manufacturer for any kind of repairs or minor upgrades and things like that. I think one of the biggest problems is that you can't repair something if you can't get the parts. And when the manufacturer makes all the parts, then you're stuck. This is less the case with your standard PC where you can get off-the-shelf parts. You can replace a processor. You can replace a sound card relatively easily. But with Apple products and, of course, with phones because of the size, it's not so simple. It's good that you mentioned iFixit. They're not a sponsor yet. I really like what they do, and I've used their website many times to know how to open up Macs. The hardest one I ever did was a 2009 Mac Mini. I opened it up, and I took out the hard drive, and I put in a hybrid drive, which was the antecedent of Apple's Fusion drive. And I did this very carefully. I took a table. I took a whole bunch of little containers to put all the screws in, and I put them in order, and I printed out the instructions, and I had my magnifying glass and my light. It took three hours, and with the step-by-step -step instructions, I was able to do it without breaking the Mac. And as you say, it teaches engineering skills, it teaches patience, and you save money. Of course, there was no option for this drive at the time, and I was doing this in part to write an article about it, but I should be able to do that on all my computers. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. So in other news, the iTunes is ending beast has reared its head again. There is one particular website that has been trying to peddle this rumor for a little more than six months saying iTunes is going to end downloads. And a few days ago, Apple informed 
their partners in the music industry that they will no longer take submissions for the iTunes LP format after the end of the month. And of course, different websites and newspapers started saying things like, and here's one from a UK newspaper, end of iTunes, leaked Apple email sparks fears over future of music downloads. Well, you know what? This is just people trying to get clicks. Isn't there a word for that? Yeah, it might, it might be clickbait. Is, is that what it is? Clickbait, that's what it is. Yeah, yes. there you go. <laughs> Do you remember the iTunes LP format? You know what? Until I I heard this story, you know, come up in the news this past week, I had completely forgotten about it. So I, the iTunes LP, if I'm remembering right, I, I think that this was a, a way for publishers of music content to be able to kind of add some additional stuff. So when you buy the album on iTunes, you get some other stuff, you know, along with the album. Right. You'd get artwork, you'd get text, maybe lyrics, you'd maybe get a couple of videos. And the idea of an LP, think of the, the old days. Remember back in the day, you had these round vinyl things that were called LPs. And if it was a gatefold, it would open. <laughs> and so it was kind of like that on the screen that you had a, a widescreen display. And it's funny, I never bought one of these. I never did either. I just didn't see the interest in buying one of these. And I had sort of forgotten them too. I figured that Apple just phased them out quietly. So I was a bit surprised. But again, the, the rumor that's been going around is that Apple's going to stop selling downloads on the iTunes store and, and here's the key word, force everyone to subscribe to Apple Music. The, the lack of truth in this is actually almost malicious because there's absolutely no way that Apple's going to stop selling downloads because there are, even if downloads are, have been overtaken by music streaming in terms of revenue, there are still record labels who make more money from downloads than they do from streaming. I don't really think that these. This is a very credible rumor. It's what what Apple probably needs to do more than anything with iTunes is to completely restructure the app. Well, first of all, it's strange that it's still called iTunes. Oh, don't no 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 no. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> I'm the guy who writes a lot about iTunes, and I've had to parry some of these claims for ages. <laughs> you know. Should they not call it an iPhone because it's really a pocket computer? Should they not call it an Apple Watch because it's not really a watch, it's a wrist computer? Should people be, should it be illegal to say, dial this phone number because they don't use rotary phones anymore? Um, no, language shifts and, and it's a brand name. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the iTunes name. I, I, sh I should be clear, that's not the worst part of that. We're, we're not going to go into the iTunes is bloated thing because I can shoot down every one of your arguments really easily. And, and I don't think that's very useful to anyone. The, the, well, okay. I mean, and the biggest problem that, that I have about it is is more that, uh, like, have you ever used iTunes on Windows? Yes, I have. Uh, iTunes on Windows is almost exactly the same as iTunes on Mac. The only difference is the names of a couple of things, like preferences is settings and the location of a couple of menu items. But it's exactly the same. But the reason... Windows users don't like it is because it's exactly the same. They expect it to be more like a Windows app. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll save this debate for another day. Yeah, we're going to move on because this doesn't interest a lot of people. In any case, the, the iTunes LP that everyone forgot is going to disappear, and iTunes will keep selling downloads for the foreseeable future, if only because it doesn't cost them anything. They've got the files. Whether they stream or sell them, it doesn't cost them any more to sell them. It would be foolish. It, it would be, you know, I don't know saying that 7-Eleven is going to stop selling bags of ice, even though they've got a freezer to store them in. 
you know, honestly, even if there's, this were true, I, there's plenty of other options. I, I can still go to Amazon and download an MP3. So of course, it's not the end of the world, even if Apple did this. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about storing passwords in the cloud. Is it a good idea or not? Sometimes an offer comes along that you just can't ignore or resist. And here's one from Intego right now. For a limited time and for the first time ever, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 60% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier. Home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier. Parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download your free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 60%. That's Intego Podcast to save 60% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. This is a limited time offer that may never be repeated, so you must act soon. Save 60% on Mac Premium Bundle X9 or Mac Washing Machine Secure X9 or Mac Internet Security X9 using the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. Intego devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today and save 60%. So, Josh, I'm sure like most Mac and iOS users, you use Apple's iCloud keychain, right? Um, Actually, no. What? Seriously? Seriously. I'm just a little bit uneasy about using iCloud keychain. Wow. So let's remind listeners, you're the guy who puts the piece of tape over the camera on your laptop. What is it about iCloud Keychain that you're worried about? I guess what concerns me a little bit is the idea that if my iCloud account were to get breached, or if hackers find some other way into iCloud servers, that if I've got all my passwords there, then that's a really easy way for someone else to get all my passwords. Okay, that's a fair point. But you have lots of other data on iCloud, don't you? Actually, I don't really use iCloud a whole bunch. Oh, okay. But do you use other cloud services? Yeah, I use Dropbox, and, and I, I do have a password manager. And, and so I, I do have my passwords all in one place in a password manager. In the cloud? Um, yeah. Okay. To be fair, I really don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on what exactly it is about iCloud Keychain that makes me nervous. I think maybe part of it is that there's not just like a simple app where that I can go in and edit my passwords, that I can update my passwords. I've got to kind of go through Apple's interface, which to me is a little bit clunky compared to a nice password manager. Yeah, I'm going to link in the show notes to an article I wrote for the Intego Mac security blog called Mac and iOS Keychain Tutorial, How Apple's iCloud Keychain Works. First, let's just talk about the principle. You log into a website on your Mac and you create a username and a password and when you want to get to that website on your iPhone or iPad, it's really practical for it to be in the cloud. So you don't have to remember what the password was because this means that you don't have to use insecure passwords that you can remember like one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. And I think we might have mentioned before that if you have a password that's really easy to remember or that follows kind of a recognizable or, or common pattern where you have, for example, a word followed by a number. Those kind of passwords are 
typically among the easiest to to guess to brute force if someone is really trying to come after you in particular. So iCloud Keychain, in my experience, works really well. It's rapid. It keeps things in sync. I can't remember the last time that I've created an account and saved the password anywhere that it hasn't almost immediately been available on other devices. Obviously, this depends on you having network access. But anytime you're logging into something, you generally have to have network access. So it it usually isn't a problem. As we've talked about password managers in the past, in a way, iCloud Keychain is a password manager. As long as you're using Apple's Safari browser and Apple's Mail and Apple's apps, then iCloud Keychain can be your password manager in many ways. Yeah. Now, one thing that you really can't necessarily do with this is if you have, um, let's say that you want to put in your bank pin and it's not something that's prompted for on uh, on your your bank's you know login page. So so there's not a password field that's being filled in. If you want to put in oh, I don't know, the combination for the safe that you've got in your closet. These are not things that you can use iCloud Keychain for because it's not something that's a, a fillable field on a website. Um, it, whereas if you had a password manager, you know, the, you typically have the opportunity to create a note, for example, and put that kind of information in there. Right, and so you can do this on the Mac. In the Keychain Access app, you can create secure notes. And I use my password manager for this. There's a lot of personal data that I store in there. Unfortunately, you can't access these secure notes on iOS devices. So you can do it, but it's limited. You, you can only right. get access on your Mac. Keychain access is not the best interface in the world. As you said, it's kind of clunky. It's not easy to understand how to manage, but it's not that bad when you consider it. One of the problems I find is that if you look at all the items, I'm looking at mine right now, and I've got all these things that are listed as iMessage signing key and iMessage encrypting key and key, just key on its own. And I don't know what they're related to. And there's a couple hundred of them. Now, I know that I can just ignore them. There's no date modified. There's no expires date. These are things that the system is using that aren't important. But then you have all your passwords, but you also have certificates and you probably don't know what the certificates are for and why you need them. So it's true that they haven't really manage to segregate everything ideally. This said, if you go into Safari preferences passwords, and this is on the Mac, or on iOS, it's settings, accounts, and passwords, then you'll be able to access all of your website logins and passwords. There are some, there, there's information that's stored in the keychain, such as passwords to back up your iOS device, airport passwords, if you have an airport network or Wi-Fi network. You can't get to these things outside of the Keychain Access app. The other alternatives, the Safari and the iOS, only give you access to the actual account information. But in most cases, you don't need that other information. You might forget your Wi-Fi password, and that's a little bit annoying. But usually, the biggest problem is usually all of your website passwords. Right, that's true. And, and it's probably websites where you have to remember the most, because there's probably hundreds of websites that you've logged into in the past you know, couple of years. And some of them you don't necessarily log into all that often. So I, I would definitely say that websites are probably the the hardest to remember, especially if you're trying to be good and use different, you know, unique passwords on each website that you go to. Now, in the absence of having a true password manager on iOS with the secure notes, as you mentioned earlier, you can use Apple's Notes app and you can password protect notes. So you can set up one or two notes for all that information you want to keep and you can password protect them. 
they'll sync via iCloud. Obviously, they're not part of the keychain. There are ways to work around to get all of these features that you have in a password manager. It's true that password managers in general are better designed, easier to search. The interface is organized a little bit more simply. So I use 1Password, and there are a number of categories in it that I use. One is logins. One is secure notes, as I mentioned earlier. I keep my credit card information there, partly because that way I don't have to have my credit cards with me all the time, and partly because I can enter them automatically into a web page. There is some information for bank accounts, email accounts, passports, software licenses. In fact, one of the that's one of the great features for me is that every time I buy software, I immediately put the license into 1Password and then I don't have to keep the email that I originally got or remember how to get to the website to request the license. So they're all there. They're easy to look up. You know, I, I said earlier that I couldn't quite put my finger on why I don't like the idea of using the iCloud keychain. I, I think maybe one of the reasons why I'm a little uncomfortable with it is that with a password manager from you know one of the major companies that that does this they give a lot of information about what types of security they're using to make sure that your that your data stays safe that it's not going to you know get compromised in in a in a breach and i feel like apple doesn't really give as much information about iCloud and what security they're using behind the scenes. It's a little bit of a black box. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons that I'm a little less comfortable about using iCloud Keychain than using a password manager from, you know, a company like the one that makes 1Password, for example. So what are the risks with iCloud Keychain? You said if someone hacks your iCloud account, and that would mean if they manage to get through your security questions which I'm sure are not as simple as what's my favorite sports team, and you put, I don't know, Boston Red Sox, for example, or the name of your first dog, you have two-factor authentication, which I think we really need to recommend to everyone these days. Oh, yeah. The risks are relatively important if you don't know anything about security, but Apple, I I think Apple will soon be requiring two-factor authentication, and, and as much as a way to protect users as to protect Apple from having any kind of responsibility for this. What what are the risks are there? How can someone get into your iCloud account if you're that if you're well protected? Well, I, I guess one of my concerns is that because we don't know a lot about the back end of uh, the iCloud service, that there may be other ways that that we don't we just don't know about at this point where somebody if they were to compromise say a particular iCloud server that maybe there would be some way to compromise accounts as a kind of a backdoor into it without having to know somebody's password. I don't know whether that is the case or whether that will ever happen, but it's just it, because I don't know what kind of security technologies Apple's really using behind the scenes and how they're protecting the data, that makes me a little more uncomfortable. Well, what kind of information could they give you to make you less uncomfortable? Um, well, I, I guess the kinds of things that they could tell us would be, you know, here, here, here are some of the measures that we take to make sure that our iCloud servers stay safe. Here's the types of encryption that we're using. If, are, are, they, are they using the best encryption standards that are available? But do other cloud services give us this information? Does Dropbox publish this? I'm not sure about Dropbox off the top of my head, but um, I know password managers, the the major companies that do password managers, usually they will they'll tell you what specific types of encryption that they're using. That that's that's one basic thing. So let me know what 
what cipher suite are are you using? Cipher suite? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's that? So, for example, are they using AES Advanced Encryption Standard? Uh, what version of AES are they using? AES two fifty six, or are they using something else? There's lots of different um, encryption standards, and I guess one thing that would be important to me is just to know that they're using one um, or multiple that are still considered to be best of breed. Well, it's funny that, you know, there's this thing called Google and you can look things up. And while you were talking, I found a document called iCloud Security Overview. And iCloud is built with industry standard security technologies, employs strict policies to protect your information, and is leading the industry by adopting privacy-preserving technologies like end-to-end encryption for your data. Aha. Now, they do say it's a minimum of 128-bit AES encryption, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of paltry because... All, all the the cool kids use 256, <laughs> right? But they're using TLS 1.2, which sounds impressive to me. It's end-to-end encrypted data, and that sounds serious. Does this reassure you a little bit? Um, yeah, actually, looking at this document, I feel a little bit better about it. I have no reason to doubt Apple of all companies. I'm going to tell you why. If you look at what Apple's doing these days, you know, let's be honest. The the, the days of the computer being the the the, the important device, they're over. We're going to be using them for a while, but they're not getting better. They're not going to they're not going to sell more. The iPhone is a commoditized device now. They're going to add incremental features, they're going to raise the price, they're going to put two notches in the next one or whatever. But it's not going any place. The future for Apple is in services, and that's why every time they have an earnings call when they do their quarterly earnings report, they're talking about how much more the services have earned in the previous quarter or the previous year, and the analysts really like to see this because this is where Apple's going to be making money in the future. The one key that says that Apple has to do this right is Apple Pay. They have gotten banks on board with this, which means that it has to be secure. Otherwise, the banks wouldn't be playing this game. And if you if you look 10 or 20 years in the future, Apple is going to turn into a bank of some sort. I wouldn't be surprised. Or some sort of financial services company building on this technology that they've developed. So I think that all the big companies have reliable technology Of course, then there's all the human stuff that, you know, don't click a link in an email and go to a phishing site when you run an iCloud data center. With regard to AES and whether 128-bit is good enough, I think for probably most practical applications, 128-bit AES encryption is is okay. 256-bit AES encryption is used more often these days. Like you said, all the cool kids are doing it. it it's potentially a little bit slower, but we have fast devices these days. You know, every iPhone is plenty fast to be able to work with 256-bit AES, for example. So I think Apple probably should be using 256-bit everywhere. They, they say in that article... A minimum of 128-bit AES encryption. Why not just make it 256 across the board? I, I don't see any reason not to at this point. That makes me think that they've rolled out 256 for some of the services and not all of them. Right. So if you look at the list, and again, link in the show notes, there's things like your calendars and your contacts and your bookmarks. I wouldn't say that those need the most security, but things like your notes, your iCloud Drive, which are your files on your iCloud Drive, the Find My iPhone service, Find My Friends... Those would require additional security. And it's very possible that they're just rolling this out slowly. And it could be also, remember, older devices might not be able to run 256-bit because they're too slow. If you're just logging in to the iCloud server, the difference between 128 and 256 
is moot because the login happens very quickly. But if you're downloading files, large files, then they have to be decrypted on your device. And if you have an older iPhone, that could slow it down too much. So it's very possible that they're maybe choosing certain services depending on which device you're using. One thing to remember with not just iCloud, but really any service, a lot of times the weakest link is going to be your password. Anytime that you're using a service that has a lot of personal data in it, you want to make sure that you're using a really good password. Now, iCloud, because it has all of these things that we mentioned, it's got so much personal data about you that you really need to make sure that you're using a really strong password. And I know that's annoying to have to type a long password, especially on an iOS device, but you want to make sure that you're using a good strong password because remember, this is this is a lot of really personal information about yourself that's being stored on iCloud. They've got a lot of my cat photos up there. <laughs> and and of course, we, we did have uh, an episode where we talked about, about password security and how to choose a good password. Right. And I'll link to that in the show notes. So what about you listeners? Are you team iCloud or team paranoia? Drop <laughs> us an email at podcastedintego.com or leave a comment on the show page. Also, what do you think about the iTunes app? Does it need a major overhaul or is it perfect as is? Send us your feedback at podcast at intigo.com. So until next week, I hope that you'll come back, Josh, and tell us that you are now using iCloud for something, at least. <laughs> In the meantime, stay secure. Stay secure. Remember, you can save 60% on Intego software by using the code Podcast at checkout. Hurry, the 60% savings offer won't last long. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Links to topics and information Kirk and Josh mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where you'll find details on the full line of award-winning Intego security and utility software, intego.com.